Thank you, Pastor. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thank you for the excitement. That's cool. Um, all right. Tell you what, let's open up in prayer. Father, we thank you for being in this place. Uh, I pray that you will open our ears, our minds. God, may we see the things that you have for us. God, I pray that you will, uh, you will open up your scripture anew to us. That we'll just, uh, we will understand what it is. We will, we will see it with your eyes. It will be transforming, that it will apply to life. Be among us, God. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into your own church. Amen. All right, uh, we're, in, we're in a series right now on the best is yet to come, get there. Kind of, um, in essence, what it is, is uh, what, what is, what's the big picture for your life? And this, is, this picture has actually been the motivation for the title of my, my sermon today, is, is seeing the forest through the trees. And the past couple of weeks, we've talked about you know, we've talked about getting unstuck and, and setting specific goals and plans. Uh, Pastor last week talked about positioning yourself uh, to receive God's blessing in your life. And today is going to be uh, kind of like the big picture type of a message. It's going to be, you know, the, it's going to be the big vision for your life. And the important thing that we all need to understand about God's vision, God's purpose for our life is it, it's bigger than anything that we could possibly think of, but we usually, we usually miss it. We don't, usually, we don't see it or we don't frame it. We don't have a good understanding of what it is. And so what I'm going to encourage you today in seeing the forest through the trees is, is developing a life objective, a life plan. In essence, a life mission statement. And that's going to be the question. What's your, what's your life plan? Objective. What's your mission in life? Uh, I, I, my daughter goes to Oakmont, and they've done a great thing in this school. The whole school has a mission statement. Um, I can't remember it completely, but something to the effect that uh, we're going to encourage academic excellence in indoor and outdoor learning. It's a great mission statement. They're very hands-on, tactile type of a school. And then even the classrooms. Each classroom has its own individual mission statement. I think, I think Sophia's classroom is, uh, is to behave and don't poke the kid next to you or something to that effect. So, um, but have you ever thought about this? What, what is my life objective? What am I on the planet to do? And it's an, it's, it, it is such an important thing that most everybody, they just don't do it. And then we wonder why we're frustrated we wonder why we're confused. We wonder why we don't have any direction in life. We wonder why we don't feel like there's any meaning in life. We've got way too many options and we're, con we're confused. That's because we haven't seen the big picture. That's your first fill-in on your bulletin. Is you gotta, it's the big picture. What's the big picture for your life? And we're going to be looking into specific steps on fulfilling the big picture in your life, on actually framing it out. You know, this is easy for visionaries to do, and, and for detail-oriented people, this is going to be kind of hard somewhat, but we're going to frame it out. Like, what is, what is your mission statement in life? That's what we're going to do. We're going to be writing your mission statement today. Practical stuff. The first thing that we got to do, 
before we even begin to sit down at the table, before we begin to sit down and start writing, the, the most important thing, the key thing, is you got to slow down. You have to be still before the Lord. You've got to unplug. You've got to unplug your computer, your TV. You've got to unplug from society. You've got to slow your mind, your heart, your spirit. You've got to slow it way down. You need to get alone with God. That's the first thing that you've got to do. Make time to get alone with God. Be still. Be still. God speaks to us in a lot of different ways, but one of the number one area, the number one methods that he uses is the still, small, quiet voice that gently nudges. And if you're going a million miles an hour, if you're living this pace of life, you can't hear him. You can't tune in. You can't feel it when he nudges you into the right direction in your life. So that's the number one thing that we got to do. But I really feel strongly that I need, to, I need to really flesh out this idea of getting along with God, of waiting on the Lord. If you've been here for the past couple of weeks, uh, we've gone over the issue of, of not being sedentary, of not, of, of going, of moving, of not you know, of the, the idea of waiting on the Lord can be a scapegoat for a lot of people. You're stuck in this rut because you're waiting for God to do something to you, something for you. Open up that door so you can walk through. And, and so we've been talking about this idea of moving forward. Now, I'm going to look at it at both areas right now. Okay, uh, the scripture is Psalms 29. No, that's not it. I got to show you my notes. So these are my notes, and my daughter got a hold of them. And she, wrote, she says I'm a princess. Yeah. All right. All right, hang on. There, Psalms 46.10. There we go. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still and know that I am God. Before you can get God's vision for your life, you just got to turn off the television. Got to unplug. Now, I think for our family, our church family, there's probably people that fall into categories. They're the ones that... Um, They need, to, they need to do something. They need to get moving. And, and on our study on Acts, um, Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus has physically levitated off the planet. He's left the planet. And his disciples, the apostles, his friends, they're just, they're sitting there and they're just, they watch him go up into the sky and disappear into the clouds. And they're just they, they're just looking up into the sky. And, and eventually, two angels appear before them, and they basically, it translates into this. What are you guys looking at? What, what, what are you doing? Well, we're just focusing our eyes on Jesus. Uh, you've got things to do. Let's get going here. That's, that's what is being said. 
you know, quit looking up into the sky and, and, and you've got a mission, you've got a purpose and you need to put some wheels behind it. Okay, so this idea that there isn't, there is, it is true that we can be too sedentary, that we could, you know, I'm just looking at Jesus, I'm waiting on the Lord and that's our scapegoat for not moving forward. Why? Why? It's because we're scared. It's because our motivation is fear. We're afraid of failure. We're afraid of looking bad. We're, we, we might even be afraid of success. What if I'm successful? Then I'm going to have more responsibility. So we, we, we hesitate. We, we stay stuck. We, we, we get paralyzed because of fear. And we're waiting too long. Okay? So we, we, we flesh that out. And if that's you, re, uh, review some of the other messages. But there's another element, too. There's another side to this coin, and that is jumping too fast. That is, that is moving into what God's called you to do before you're ready, before you're prepared. One of the specific things that happens to the apostles is they are trained. They were trained specifically by Jesus. They were not only were in relationship, but they were instructed by him. They, they spent a lot of time being discipled, being prepared, being taught. And even after he, he levitated off the planet, he says, your, your preparation time is not over with. You're going to have 50 days of constant prayer before I release the power of the Holy Spirit on you. That's Wednesday's topic. But preparation. Okay, now the other apostle that, that wasn't one of the 12, well, that's, that's Paul. He, uh, okay, in order to be an apostle with a capital A, you have to be taught by Jesus himself. So the apostolic ministry that we live in, it has been translated down from history. Technically, no one can call themselves an apostle unless they've been instructed by Jesus himself. And Paul was. He was, he had that experience on the road to Damascus where he was knocked off his horse. Okay, we, we, we reference this one a lot in our church because it's so powerful. It's so demanding. It is, it, it's, it's life transformational in an instant when Jesus appears to Paul, instructs him, and teaches him in a beam of light. And on our minds, we automatically assume that he hits the mission field. In our minds, we think, okay, he... he he, he goes and he touches bases with the other guys and then he hits the road and he begins his life journey. Paul actually had a very specific life objective. He knew exactly what he was supposed to do. That day of revelation when he was knocked off his horse, he knew exactly what his life objective was. The overall overarching big picture, seeing the forest through the trees, his goal, his purpose in life, he's very specific. He says, my goal is to preach the gospel where no one else has preached. I don't want to build off of somebody else's revelation. I want to introduce something new to non-Jews. Had a very clear goal. I don't know, it wasn't a goal. It was his life objective gets knocked off his horse, but we automatically assume that he jumps into his purpose, and he doesn't. He doesn't. In Colossians, it tells us, Colossians 1, it tells us that he went to Arabia to spend time with the Lord for three years. He doesn't even go to Jerusalem to hang out with the 11. He spends 
more time with the Lord. Interesting thought for somebody that is so uh, ambitious. And he has, ambition is not wrong, by the way. It's what you place it in that, that is wrong. Ambition to spread the gospel, that's good. Ambition to make yourself rich and powerful, well, yeah, you, you, that's secular humanism. But you still got to be a good person. Anyway. Um, So there's, this, there's this, this preparation. There's this time that we need to wait on the Lord. And I think a lot of us live in this, and we need to be honest with ourselves. Where am I? You see, people that jump the gun and move too fast, uh, their motivation is the same for the people that, that are stuck and that are paralyzed and that say, I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm looking at Jesus in heaven, but I'm not doing a, a dang thing. Their motivation is the same. It's fear. People that go too fast that, that, that are out of God's timing, fear is their motivation because they're like, uh, well, my dad was a successful doctor at this age, therefore I gotta be. Or if I'm not successful, other people are gonna be looking bad at me. If I haven't gotten to this point in my life, then everybody's going to deem me as a failure. And what that is, it's the fear of man. It's the fear of what other people are going to think. And that type of motivation is, is deadly. And a lot of us live in this tension too. We're going too fast. It is our culture to go as fast as we possibly can. See, the interesting thing about when we lose the vision for our life, the overarching purpose of what we're supposed to be doing, once we lose track of what we're supposed to be doing, we actually go faster. We actually go faster. In World War II, there was a pilot that got lost, and they radioed him, and they said, hey, where you at? And he says, I have no idea where I'm going, but I'm making record time. You know, when you lose direction in your life, have you ever felt like this? You get frantic, and you start working faster and faster and faster and faster, and, and it's just you don't know where you're going. So this is the beauty of having your, your, your life mission statement written out because with it, you can say, you can, you can filter out all these decisions. Again, we get frustrated because we've got too many choices to make. You go into the grocery store and you've got, I don't know, you've got too many brands to choose from. You got, you, have you seen these new Coke machines where they're all like a big Coke robot and you can make your own drinks. If it's not complicated enough, you can start mixing drinks by pushing buttons. It's amazing. And, and if we begin to live our life like this, I got way too many decisions. I'm going to go fast and do them all. And we don't consider our life objective. We're going to make bad decisions. They might even seem like right ones, but we're going to make bad decisions. You guys tracking with me on this? All right. The number one thing that I just want to communicate, I hope it's the take home, is you just you got to get along with God this week, today, make some time with God and be honest with yourself. Honest with yourself. We have a tendency to believe our own lies. But just be honest. Where am I at? Where does God want me? What's my direction? And, and then we're going to get there. So that's the number one thing you got to do. You got to get his will and your will tuned up together. Okay, now once you've done that, these are the things that you need to pray about. We're going to look at these steps. Um, the first one, you got to identify what your gifts are. 
Identify what your gifts are. Now, some of us is really easy for a lot of us because you know what your natural gifts are. Like, I'm just, I, I'm good at organization. I'm a detailed oriented person. Okay, I'm not personally. I think you ought to know that by now. But, um, so I'm, I'm, good at, I'm good at putting things together. I'm good at making a plan. I'm good at seeing somebody's vision and putting some feet and structure onto something. Um, you know, so you know what you're naturally good at. If you're in a career that you actually enjoy doing, you, you like getting up and going to work, you are blessed. Okay? Now, everybody else needs to strive for that. You need to find that thing that, that you enjoy doing and that thing that you are good at, and you need to focus on that. You need to focus on what you like to do and what you're good at. And if you're in a job or a career or whatever, and, and, and you're not liking what you're doing, uh, don't quit. I think I did a message on that. Don't just like jump ship all of a sudden so, and then you can't pay your bills. Bad decision. I've done that. Um, but begin to make specific plans on doing something that you enjoy doing. Do you like people? Well, then find yourself a good serving job, okay, where you can serve people. Now, there's those natural gifts that you ought to know about. If you don't know about, you know, just spend some time do some, I hate to say this in church, do some self-reflection and find out what your gifts are, what your natural gifts are, okay? But now there's another step. There's your spiritual gifts. These are harder to find because the day you step across that line of faith, you become a son and daughter of Christ, you get a set of spiritual gifts that you didn't have before. Uh, we don't, I don't want to go into that, but you need to figure out what those are. And the funny thing about them is, is that they, get, they, they are, in some cases, hidden. And it's up to you to reveal them, to pursue them, to develop, to develop them, to practice them. You have to actually practice the spiritual gifts to get good at them. And you might not even know what they are. We actually have a, we have a test that's coming up. Now, the tests, tests are never, uh, tests are, you know, it's not foolproof, but it will at least give you some framework. We teach it in the 301. So if you'd like to know what your spiritual gifts are, your, you know, that type of aptitude, take the 301 that's coming up in a, in a couple of weeks or so. It'll be in the bulletin. But that will help you. I'm not saying it's, it's, it's the word from the Lord, but it will help. Um, and, and again, there's, there's spiritual gifts that, you can even, even desire. Did you know that? You, can, you should desire all the spiritual gifts. And you can go after ones you don't even have. So that's the first thing that we got to do. We got to figure out what, you know, how has God wired me and, and what's my supernatural inheritance here? What are we looking at? So you have to, you have to identify your gifts. Romans 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, prophesying, let him use it in the proportion of his faith. What this is saying is we're all different. There's billions of people on the planet, but there's no one on the planet that's like you, that has your skill set, that has your gift set, and God wants to use it. So when you approach God in prayer, when you get alone with him, to say, God, just Let's help define this, illustrate this for me. What are my gifts? I know I think I'm good at this. What do you think, God? All right, 
Next one. I'm going to camp out on this one quite a bit. Is we have to review our history. His, uh, okay, I, you know I'm a history, I was a history major, so I'm going to geek out on you. But actually, history is so important. It, it is who you are. And I've been, I've been talking about reviewing your history with God. It, it, it will encourage your faith. If you find yourself doubting or frustrated or in fear or scared, and you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, review your history with God. Say, oh yeah, I remember that time when I was stretched financially and God came through with this financial miracle. Oh yeah, I remember that time when, when I was really sick and then all of a sudden that sickness just lifted off of me or, or I came up for, for, for the front for prayer and I was supernaturally healed. I remember that. I remember that time when I was in that part of the neighborhood that was not safe and I shouldn't have been there at that time of night and, and God saved me from death harm. Okay, in order to increase our faith, there's nothing wrong with reviewing our history with God. I think it's important and I think it's, it's vital. But here's, here's the thing. You can't live in the past. You can't live in your spiritual past. Why? Because God is doing a new thing inside of you. There's something always new. There's a new song. There's a new expression of his kingdom that he wants to do for you. He wants to show you something different. Change. He's, he's the God of change. So he doesn't want you living in the past. He doesn't want you to recreate, recreate the glory days of your spiritual life. They weren't that good. It's like high school. You think high school was fun. It wasn't. You were miserable in high school. <laughs> it wasn't fun at all. And so I want to encourage you, when you're weak in your faith, review your history. Okay, then this is where it's going to get difficult. So... We, God has, okay, if God hasn't done miracles in your past, hang around with us for a little bit, okay? If God has not done a miracle in your life, you, you, you desperately just need to rub shoulders with us. There's so many miracles, and they're going to rub off on you. But God has done miracles in everybody's life. Do you guys agree with that truth? Hmm? The enemy of God has done horrible things in your life. Do you agree with that truth? He has wreaked havoc on many of you. Pain, extreme pain for most of you. I don't think there's, there's not a person sitting in the room that hasn't experienced pain. Some of us more than others. I know that some of you have experienced pain that is, is worse than mine. Some of us have lost our marriages. Some of us have, have grown up in abusive homes where our parents beat us or we've had the experience the death of a loved one, death of a child. You lost your job. You, uh, you struggled with a deep addiction. You were in the occult. Some of us have had abortions. Some of us have encouraged abortions. And that is our history, unfortunately. Now, there's a scripture. There's a very powerful scripture 
I don't think I've ever taught on it because it's used a lot. It's on bumper stickers. It's like right up there with John 3.16. It's on, you know, it's on the, uh, it's on the, the Facebook, you know, pretty pictures that come up every once in a while. You see it on there all the time. You all know it. And I hope I can do some justice to it. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to it. And if you dare, I'm going to have you underline stuff in it. When you read this, again, it could go right over your head, but we're going to pay attention to it a little bit. For, and, and we know that in all things. Christians use this verse whenever they're trying to comfort somebody that, that's, that's passed away, you know, at funerals and stuff, or bad things happen. Christians like to throw this verse out. Uh, sometimes the best thing you can do is, is not quote scripture, but it's actually to love on them and hug them and cry with them. That's probably the best thing that you can do when somebody is grieving. Don't give them scripture like this because their emotions can't catch up, okay? But where you are right now, when you approach God in prayer, trying to figure out what your overall purpose in life is, this is key. Kingdom of heaven theology hinges on this verse. Kingdom of heaven is the undoing of the kingdom of hell. This verse says, all things. When they wrote that, when, when Paul wrote this, when the Holy Spirit instructed him to write this, when he said all things, it included all of those horrible things that I just said. All of those horrible things that you've experienced in your life. All of them. All of them. All of them can be turned around. You see, God wants to use the good things that he's done in your life to increase your testimony, to encourage others. He also wants to use those bad things. This is, this is the beauty of it. This is the beauty of what he does. He takes what the enemy has designed for evil in your life and he, has turned, he wants to turn it around and use it for good. He wants, he wants to take your pain and make it a testimony. He wants to take your, your disappointment so that you can encourage other people with it. God wants to incorporate, oh, this is hard. God wants to incorporate your hurts into your overall life message. How does he do that? What does that look like practically? It looks like it practically by, by giving you a ministry. It's, it comes in addition to your purpose. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4. God helps us in our troubles. Again, a truth, right? He saved you. He saved many of you from bad things. God helps us in our troubles. He's delivered us. Here's the, here's the application. So that we are able to help others who have troubles. 
using the same help ourselves that we have received from God. What have, question, what have you learned? What have you learned from your experience? What have you learned from your history? Now, again, I've got to make this point very strong and very clear. You can't live in the past. You can't identify with your old self. What Jesus wants you to do is he wants you to learn from what you experienced. Why? So that you can help someone else. So that, in essence, you can build a ministry around that history. You've got to be able to say, I went through this once, and now it no longer has any power over my life. I experienced this, and I'm gonna gonna share with you how I got out of it. I'm gonna share with you how Jesus delivered me from this situation, from this pain, from this disappointment. See, God doesn't want us to waste a single experience in our life. He doesn't, he doesn't want to waste a single miracle, and likewise, he doesn't want to waste a single hurt. You know why he does this? Because he wants to mock the devil. He's literally making fun of him. Whenever you get to the point where you can say, I, I was an addict, I was, in, I was trapped, but God saved me, I no longer identify with that old person anymore, and in fact, my testimony is saving other people. He's mocking the enemy of God. He's literally laughing at him. Well, you have designed for evil, I have turned into good. And so this is, this is, where, we, this is where we get into some, some struggles. Some of us are dealing with the same thing over and over and over again. We keep, we keep going back to the pain God doesn't just dredge up pain to torture us, okay? He might dredge it up to, so you can do business. But we keep on just nursing this thing. We keep on babying our past, taking care of it. You know, it's our, part of our identity. It's, you know, it's who we are. And we're going to continue in that stuck mode until we actually encourage somebody else. Some of you, that's, that's the key. Some of you, that is the key for your breakthrough because you've been harboring this bitterness way too long. And the only way that you're going to get out of bitterness is if you encourage somebody else not to be bitter. Does that make sense? It's the key to getting out. It's, it's turning your pain to testimony. So this is how we frame it. God wants to use all parts of your history. Again, doesn't want you to live in the past. Doesn't want you to identify with horrible things that happened so people feel sorry for you. Doesn't want you to to say, oh, these were the good old days when God really was moving and shaking. No, he wants to keep your eyes forward, moving forward, seeing the forest, seeing the big picture. That's what he wants. And what it is, it's the kingdom. And the beauty of our church the beauty of what we do as Granite Creek is the undoing of the kingdom of, of hell. When, uh, when, when a mom with a special needs kids says, I'm going to start a support group. I really feel like God's calling me to do this. And it blossoms into a ministry. When an ex-meth addict says, you know, I, I, I'm going to... I'm going to start a support group. I'm going to go, I'm going to start a CR ministry. When people say, 
you know, I'm just tired. I'm sick and tired of being held captive by my emotions and by my past, and, and I really need to share how I got out of it. And they, 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 go, to, they go to school to become a counselor. That undoes the, the works of the enemy. You know, when, when a pastor goes to post-Soviet Russia and actually experiences starving children, and his pain is, you know, why is God so bad? And he's crying in the corner. Why would God allow bad things to happen to people? And God speaks and says, Larry, you need to quit your crying and develop a ministry. That's, that's, that's kingdom. They're all kingdom. They all undo the works of the devil. And that's what we need to, that, is, that needs to be incorporated into your life objective. How can I use my past pain to encourage somebody else? Are you guys doing okay? Yeah. yeah. That is Romans 8.28. I hope I did it justice. Now, the trap that we have when we review our history, again, is living in the past. And um, this is a, I think this is a special verse to help us not to get sucked into our old way of living. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We demolish arguments at every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And this is the best part. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Okay, this scripture sometimes is used when we, um, you know, when we're dealing with the new atheists. There's, there's three new atheists that are really popular right now. And so we'll say, we'll say stuff like this. You know, we'll use that, we'll pull out this verse. You know, we demolish you know, arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against, you know, the knowledge of God. You know, whenever I go after secular humanism, I'll say something like this. So, you know, secular humanism, if you go to their website, it's actually huge, by the way. Um, millions, millions and millions of, I don't know, I think, I, I think it's fair to say to call them followers now. They're act, in their own ranks, they're trying to figure out if secular humanism is a religion. Very interesting. Anyway, um, but their tagline is good without God. You can be good without God. All right? So that, that comes up against the knowledge of God. It wars against the knowledge of God. Okay, so this is a very, you know, this is an apologetic verse that we lean on. But this is, the context isn't entirely for, you know, the people that, that verbally oppose faith on any level or God at any level or specifically Jesus. It's not specifically geared towards that. Did you know that you can be a Christian, that you can be, you can come to church and you can be at war with God? Until we have the renewing of the mind, until we begin to think new, until we begin to take on the attitude of Christ, begin to, to live a kingdom lifestyle, we are in essence at war with God. If our motivations are selfish, we're at war with God. If it's, you know, if your life objective is to become rich and get the white picket fence and the cars, if it's based in materialism, then, then, then we're not on the right track. Your, your, your mind is at war with God. This is what this is talking about. It is a very dangerous trap that we can fall into. If we're not, if our mind isn't transformed, if our mind isn't renewed, it is at war with our creator. 
Here's the beauty. Every thought. Scripture says every thought you can hold captive. You give it to Christ. You need a little thought that pops into your head. If you review your history and you find yourself in this downward spiral where you're just negative, 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 you can, you can claim this verse and you can hold that thought captive and you can give it to Jesus and you can have victory over it. it doesn't have, you don't have to get sucked into your negative past. Again, eyes forward, keep forward, keep looking forward, keep growing. You can't... It's impossible. This is, we're going we're gonna to hit this topic maybe after Easter. It's impossible for you to harbor bitterness towards somebody and still love God with all your heart. It's impossible to emotionally be all over the place, high highs, low lows, tearing somebody apart one moment, expressing extreme sadness another moment, um, bitterness and rage. It's impossible to live like that and love God with all your heart. We have to hold every, every thought captive, everyone, all of them. I think we're going to get into that after Easter. The apostles had this idea that all things are for the good of those who believe. It, it didn't work out well for them. What kept them motivated? What kept the apostles motivated? It was this expression of the kingdom. They had, they experienced pain probably worse than we did. One reason why Jesus spent so much time with them, preparing them, because they were going to face trials that we just weren't used to. They definitely didn't get into this ministry for prosperity. Prosperity gospel is a joke in the New Testament. They died poor, got their heads chopped off, they got hung upside down on a cross, they got ran through in a spear while praying in a church in the far reaches of the world. But I guarantee you, all 12 of them had more joy in their lives than probably all of us put together in this room. They knew a peace that we probably don't get. They knew a joy that, that drove them. They, 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 they were happy. They were happy. A lot of us just live unhappy lives because somebody did something to us. Or we're living in this circumstance and we're not happy. Really? At this point, right now, right where you're sitting, what's keeping you from being happy? Is there somebody or something that's keeping you from being happy right here, right now? No. You have, you have access to joy, access to forgiveness, access to freedom. All right, next thing that we got to do is we have to decide what's really important in our life. This is where we got to be brutally honest with ourselves. 
when we approach God in prayer, when we slow down, spend time, you, you gotta, gotta identify your gifts, gotta review your history, and then you have to be honest and you have to ask yourself, what's really important in my life? What really matters? This is where you begin to start to frame your life objective, your mission statement. And what is it that I want? What is it that God wants? What's my voice? What's his voice? What is it? What's really important in your life? I, I, you know, as I'm thinking about this, like, I just, I, I want to be a man after God's heart. I want to be a, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about my, my mission statement, my, my purpose in life, I want to be a godly man. I want to be a godly man that expresses the kingdom of heaven in his everyday life. I want to be the best father that I could possibly be. I want to be the best husband that I could possibly be. And so now I'm beginning to frame out my life mission statement. Any decision that I make that contradicts that goal, even though it might be good, like there's nothing wrong with it, but if it doesn't complement that goal, I'm going to begin to start to live a life of frustration. All right, hopefully I can get this across. It's tax season right now. Do you want to know what's important to you? Look at, look at your tax report that you're going to take into your tax guy. Where's your, ta- where's, your, where's your money going? Oh, I really want God in my life. Okay, I want you to compare your entertainment giving to your church giving. If you spent more money on movies, Las Vegas, Disneyland, all of these things, if that is higher than your, than your tithing, uh, it's going to tell you what, what you think is really important, what you feel is important. That will reveal where your heart is. So look at it. We mailed out tithing statements not too long ago, so you're going to take that to your tax person, and you're going to look at all this kind of stuff, and this is, this is where the, the soul searching comes in. This is where you have to be honest with yourself. You say, ah, oh, crap. Am I really like that? I'm sorry, Pastor. I'm, I, the truth hurts. The truth is painful sometimes. Once we really, all right, you do have to know thyself. Again, I hate, I hate to get introspective because that's not what the Christian faith is about. It's not about introspection. Introspection kills because you're looking at yourself. But you do have to know thyself. You do have to know what your motivations are. How much money did you spend on material things this past year? How much did you spend on the mall? How much did you spend on, you know, playing golf? You see, once we begin to get this overarching picture of what our life is, you're seeing the forest through the trees, it makes all the decisions a lot easier. Now, I don't, okay, okay, golf, there's nothing wrong with golf, right? It's a good thing. It's fun. There's nothing wrong with, well, okay. There's nothing wrong with Disneyland. It's a fun, it's the happiest place on earth, right? <laughs> Sorry. But there's, there's nothing wrong, they're, 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 there's nothing evil in, them, in and of themselves, right? right this is, I'll get the scripture to support this. First uh, Corinthians 10.23. I may do anything. Did you know that you can do whatever you want when you're a believer? I can do anything, but... Everything is not useful. Yes, I may do anything I want. I live under grace. Grace is beautiful. 
do whatever. I can say more bad words right now, but I won't. But you could do whatever you want. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Good doesn't mean it's best. It would probably be good if I spend a little Josh time every once in a while and play golf. But if I'm playing golf every single Saturday morning and I'm not hanging out with my family, and if my motivation is because I don't really want to, I am missing my life objective, okay? Once I, once I put it into my life, my life objectives, I want to be a man of God I wanna, that, that, that expresses the kingdom in his everyday life. I want to be the best father I could possibly be. Spending every single Saturday morning playing golf, is that going to make me a good father? No, it's not. Is there anything wrong with playing golf? No, there's not. But I'm just, I, I chose the wrong thing. Good might be the enemy to the best. It's not necessary. It could be an enemy. When you begin to pray about this, I want to encourage you to write it down. When you begin to pray about your, you know, your life mission statement, your objective in life, you'll write it down. This is going to be difficult. I, this, is, this is your practical homework side of stuff. I want you to write this down. Spend some time and pray about it. Your life objective might be, I need to lead as many people as I can to the Lord. Your life objective might be, I need, to, I need to be the best boss I could possibly be and express the kingdom in my workplace. Your, your life objective might be, I need to be the best servant and I need to serve people in my workplace. It's, you, just, you need to write this stuff down. Where do you want to be? Where does he think God is guiding you? And then you need to review it every once in a while. Am I on track? You need, to keep an, you need to keep an inventory of where you're at. Am I on track? It will begin to shape your life. This God you dream will shape your life. It will give you direction. Last point. It's not a point. It's a prayer. It's the ask. Do you want God's vision for your life? Or do you want your vision? Again, that, that's the part where you get honest. Do you want God's vision for your life? Tell him that you want it. You verbalize it. If I could have the band and the ushers come to the front. As they're on their way up, this is the prayer. When we pray, when we do the prayer for offering, you pray this in your head. You can, you can even say it verbally if you want. But you tell God, God, I want your purpose and plan for my life. Ask God to infuse you with it. Ask God. Everybody knows that it's this common sense that you say, yeah, I want to be in God's will. Tell God that you want to be in God's will. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? You see, the, the Romans 8, 28, it's got to jump off the page. It's a bumper sticker until it jumps off the page. It's a, it's a Facebook tag before it jumps off the page. It's got to jump off the page. 
into your heart, jabbed into your brain, coming out of your fingertips and out of your mouth. It's got to be living. It's got to be active. And you have to tell God that that's what you want in your life. You want him living and active in your life. Verbalize it. Pray it. Write it down. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would give Granite Creek, our church family, God, I pray that you will give them a vision for their lives. Give them a dream. Give them this overarching thing. God, I pray that those that are just stuck in the, the minutia, they're, they're obsessing about the details. I pray that you will, you will get them out of the forest and, and look, get them out of the trees and help them look at the forest, God. Show them that uh, they need to get on track if those that are lost need to get on track. Father, I, I, need, I need your vision for my marriage, for my parenting skills, for my finances. I need your vision for my ministry. I need you to, to, to pull me up. Show me the things that I need to work on. Father, in this, in this number, I pray that you just raise up a generation of, of godly men, godly women who are, who are committed. They're committed to the, the great commandment, the great commission, that they'll use both their positive testimony where God broke through and did a miracle and those, that they'll use their pain. God saved me from this. God changed the way that I thought about this. There's hope. There's hope. So God, may we all be dispensers of your great hope this week. Love you.